What a joy to gather with you this afternoon and reflect on the incarnation of Christ. We've been in a series of sermons over the course of the last several weeks looking at ways in which the incarnation of Christ reveals a number of things to us. For example, the incarnation of Christ reveals to us Jesus as divine. The incarnation reveals to us Jesus as one who is fully man. And tonight I'd like to reflect upon several images from the text of Scripture. The incarnation reveals to us Jesus as one who is to be worshipped. Writing in 112 B.C., concerning the gathering of the so-called Christians in one of the Roman provinces, Pliny the Younger wrote to Trajan the emperor concerning these Christian people and the things that he had noticed about them, but not only things that he had noticed about them, things that he had been told about them. And one of the things that Pliny the Younger would write to Trajan the emperor was that these Christians worship Christ as a God. This image of Jesus being worshipped as a God and spoken by Pliny the Elder is unique for a number of reasons. One, it's an an attestation to the fact that Jesus was indeed considered divine by the early believers, and this some 90 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's also interesting in that Pliny the Younger was part of the Roman Empire and one who for sure would not believe Jesus as being divine in any measurable way. So it's a communication by one who would not believe in Jesus in any measurable way that in those early days, the Christian community gathered in worship of Jesus as divine. How do we come to see Jesus as one who is worthy of my worship and worthy of your worship and worthy of the worship of the world. This understanding of the worship of Christ in terms of theological circles has been written about in a number of ways following the 19th century. Up until the 19th century, the church had embraced the concept of Jesus as divine from the very beginning and one who is worthy to be worshiped. But in the 19th century, new theologies were developed that sought to understand such things as when on earth did Jesus come to be considered as a God? For some, they saw this as a development within inside the context of the Jewish culture. This was a development that took place over the course of several years. You can understand the Jewish concept of monotheism and understanding that there is indeed only one God and this one God to whom each of us should worship. And yet, 
as you read your New Testament, the story of Christianity is a story that not only included the faith of these Jews who believed in God, but who had also come to believe that Jesus was God. It's also a story of the explosion of Christianity as Gentiles, people like you and me, come to faith in Christ. So some understood this concept of Jesus as being divine to be a development that took place with inside the context of early Jewish Christianity. They saw Judaism as pledging their lives to this monotheism, and as Christianity grew in the context of the Jewish faith, but then also saw the increase of Gentiles come to faith, then it was a natural thing that Jesus would be worshiped as divine among this Christian community. Some saw this also flowing from the context of Judaism, as Judaism, particularly in the second temple period, had developed a number of concepts of Messiah. But not only Messiah, Messiah also as martyr, and as the story of Jesus is told. It's not only a story of a moment like this where we celebrate the incarnation of Christ, it's also a story of a martyr. One who would give his life for others. So it's thought that this concept of Jesus being one who is worthy of worship, likewise developed out of Judaism, and particularly Judaism as expressed in this second temple period. But is this the testimony of Scripture? Is this how Scripture itself communicates the idea that Jesus, that his incarnation reveals to us one who is worthy to be worshipped? We looked at four texts of scriptures a few moments ago. Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5 is a text of scripture that occurs in the Old Testament in the Minor Prophets, and it's a depiction of this coming Messiah. This Messiah, who the text of scripture tells us would be one that was born in, in Bethlehem, but not just one who was born in Bethlehem, this text of Scripture reveals to us that this coming Messiah would be a ruler. He would be one who reigns. As we think about worship, even worship in the context of first century Judaism, worship in the context of the first century period, we understand that rulers were one who were worshipped. Pliny, the younger, is writing to Trajan, the emperor, and his expression that the Christians worship Christ as God is not, in Pliny's mind, seen as something to be celebrated. It's a reason for these Christians to be stopped. Why? Because in the Roman mindset, there was only one that was worthy 
of worship. There was only one ruler worthy of the affection of the people, and Jesus was not that ruler. The emperor was the embodiment of the divine himself, and he and he alone was seen as one that is to be worshiped. Yet Micah tells us that Jesus would be a ruler. A ruler is one to be worshiped. So we not only understand in the context of the early gathering of Christians, Jesus as one that would be worshiped because he is a ruler. We also see from the reading of the text of scripture in Matthew chapter one, Jesus was one worthy to be worshiped because he is a savior. Listen at this text of scripture again from Matthew chapter one, as the Holy Spirit spoke to Joseph and Mary through the prophetic utterance of this angel, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he himself will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The early Christians would worship Jesus not only because he was a ruler with great might and great power, they would also worship Jesus because he was God incarnate. He was savior of the world. And friends, the testimony of the Old Testament reveals to us that God is indeed one who is worthy to be worshiped because there is no other person there is no other deity, there is no other thing who bears the sole responsibility for saving God's people than God himself. And Jesus, as revealed to Joseph and Mary and by extension to you and me and those early Christians, was revealed in his infancy, in his incarnation, as one who would be savior, one who would save his people from what? Their sins. And friends, this is why Christians for centuries have celebrated the incarnation of Jesus because there is only one who has provided a means of salvation, redemption from sin, from my sin and from your sin, and that one is Jesus. And for that act alone, friends, for that designation alone, Savior, Jesus was one worthy to be celebrated and worshiped by the early church. But this worship of Jesus didn't begin when Jesus was 12 years old and started teaching in the temple. This worship of Jesus 
didn't begin as he performed miracles in the Galilee region and healed and cast out demons. This worship of Jesus as divine did not start with his death, burial, and resurrection. This worship of Jesus started with his incarnation, with his very birth. Look with me at this image of which we read a few moments ago from the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 2, In Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, we see this image of the worship of Christ. And here in Luke chapter 2, we see the angels who worship Christ. But not only the angels who worship Christ, the shepherds worship Christ. And in the same region, Luke chapter 2, verse 8, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Jesus, in his incarnation, is revealed to you and me as one who is worthy of to be worshipped. Notice what this text of Scripture shows us. Who in this text of Scripture is the first to give us this revelation of Jesus as one worthy to be worshipped? None other than heaven itself. The angels themselves give worship. They give honor to Jesus. Why? Because He and He alone is the Savior of the world. The angels, heaven itself, understands exactly what is taking place in this moment, in this incarnation. Jesus is the divine Son of God, and there is no other who is worthy of heaven's worship than God Himself. Heaven worships Jesus. But not only does heaven worship Jesus, notice the rest of this text of Scripture. When the angels went away from heaven, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds, listen at this text, returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. 
Luke chapter 2 reveals to us that not only does heaven worship Jesus as the very Son of God, as God himself, but earth worships Jesus as the very Son of God. These shepherds are seen as the lowliest of the low in all of culture. And it reveals to you and me that this narrative of God becoming man, this narrative of God in the person of Christ come to save the world is a message that extends to all people. Heaven and earth join in worshiping Jesus as a very divine Son of God. And then we read from Matthew chapter 2, the narrative of the wise men who would come not at the day of his birth, but within a few years of his birth. But they made a journey across the world for one purpose, to themselves bow and worship of this one who is indeed the divine Son of God. What is worship? D.A. Carson wrote of worship, and he penned these words. Worship is the proper response of all moral beings to God. Ascribing all honor and worth to their creator God precisely because he is worthy, delightfully so. See, friends, Jesus' incarnation reveals to you and me that Jesus is one who demands to be worshiped. And friends, that worship of Jesus that expectation of the worship of Christ is for all peoples. For see, the narrative of Jesus' incarnation is not the last prophetic word uttered about this Son of God. It's not the last word uttered about this divine being. It's not the last word uttered about Jesus, who is one who is both fully God and fully man. No scripture has much more to say to you and me. This moment of celebrating Jesus' incarnation has much more to say to you and me about this person, Jesus. For see, friends, the Bible tells us that we, like ancient Israel, we too wait in a period of Advent. We too wait for the second coming of Christ. And when Jesus comes the second time, when Jesus comes again, we will see images of worship yet again. But when Jesus comes the second time, the seal of my life and in your life will be set in place. 
For when Jesus comes this second time, he will come to bring judgment. And the question for you and me on this Christmas Eve, are you ready for Jesus' second return? The way in which you and I prepare our hearts for that second return is to give our lives to him now, to live our lives in devotion to him now, to live our lives of worship toward him now. Worship is just not something that we do on a Christmas Eve or every Sunday. Worship is something that we should do every day of our lives as we pledge every day a new devotion to this one who from the very beginning was ascribed worship and honor and glory and praise. But friends, when he comes a second time, there will be no second opportunity for you and me to pledge our lives to Christ. For when Christ comes this second time, our eternities are sealed. If you're here this afternoon on this Christmas Eve, and you've not yet trusted in Jesus as Messiah, you have not joined with earth and with heaven in worshiping this one who is God, would you join us now? at this moment in confessing faith in Christ. For the scripture says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friends, you can join at this moment with heaven and with earth in worship of Jesus by confessing him as Lord. Would you pray with me this afternoon? God, we gather as believers in Christ to join our voices with the voices of the angels of heaven and with the voices of all the Christians who have gone before us and who are with us now in pledging our worship to you. Jesus, you and you alone are worthy of our worship. Would you take a few moments and ponder in your heart who Jesus is? Would you pledge to him now your life? Would you pledge to Christ now your worship? Would you worship Jesus as the divine Son of God. Would you stand with us now as we worship through singing, O Holy Night.